My name is Merrill Dubrow, CEO of Mark Research and the chair-elect of the MS Marketing Research Program at Michigan State. I'm really excited to be part of Spartan Insights. Spartan Insights is a series of podcasts that I'll be hosting and interviewing one of the 350 alumni from the Michigan State Marketing Research Program and 50 board members. Today's guest on Spartan Insights is Mike McCunis, the past Global Vice President of Commercial Insights and Analytica Kellogg, and currently an advisor at Bain. Mike, thanks so much for being a guest on Spartan Insights. Absolutely. It's great to be here, Merrill. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and uh, all of our, our Spartan members. Absolutely. Go green. We're really, really excited. So, Mike, why don't we start with just an overview of your career, if you could? Absolutely. Uh, started in what I call traditional market research for a company called Information Resources, IRI, uh, doing a lot of data analysis and really what I call fundamental mixed market modeling work. And then was recruited in the Kellogg company uh, in 1996. Makes me sound much older than I like to feel. And had a, a tremendous career through Kellogg's, uh, starting in business analytics, uh, moving into more broad-based consumer research. Um, it was that time that I was getting my graduate degree at Michigan State. And that helped me then kind of extend my career into broader areas of consumer market research, shopper research, food development research, uh, all of those areas. Uh, which then enabled me to take on progressively larger roles and, and responsibilities within Kellogg's, leading portfolio teams at first, then leading our U.S. organization from an insights perspective. Uh, and eventually, as you mentioned, over the last decade or so, running our global practice in insights. And then over the years, adding what we call commercial analytics to that as well. So while earlier in my career, we focused more on what I call brand-based insights around the consumer and consumer's relationship with brands and the things that drive brands, uh, which is really critical. You know, as, as the data world evolved, gave us the opportunity to start to take on more direct analytic responsibility to help us understand the cause and effect relationship of our major investments, whether those be advertising investments, trade dollar investments, customer development funds, so that we could ensure that when we were investing money to drive growth, that it truly was creating incremental purchasing, uh, incremental revenue, and really helped our teams round out the full picture of the shopper consumer commercial experience and helped us really leverage our organization to create greater value for the Kellogg company. Wow, there's some really key takeaways for the students there for sure. So let's talk about the students. So while you were at Kellogg, my gut is, Mike, because I know you and I, we don't stage anything. This is unrehearsed. In fact, you and I have never met, talked, we're total strangers up until, you know, five minutes ago. My sense is that over the years at Kellogg, you probably looked at, I don't know, thousands of resumes, if I had to guess. And I'm sure you hired a lot of folks from the MSMR program at Michigan State. Can you talk a little bit about what are you looking for? How does somebody go from, yeah, not interested to, whoa, they caught my eye. I got I to gotta interview this person. Just some, some Mike's secrets, per se. Yeah, for sure. At Kellogg's, we were very fortunate to have a, a great relationship with the MSMR program. And, you know, even partly due to our geographic proximity, just being an hour down the road, I'll be able to kind of maintain and build that relationship. And, and so, yes, we, we've had a number of MSMR graduates come into our organization and succeed very, very well and continue to, to contribute to the program. I think what helps them stand out is when you look at candidates coming in, having one that extra commitment to the profession that's signaled by choosing to get your master's is just one key thing there. 
But then the differentiator is when you look at the course offerings, when you look at the program, it's a program that's ever changing in order to stay up with the needs of the industry in terms of latest techniques, latest learning. So someone who's an MSMR graduate, we could feel confident, yes, we're still going to have some onboarding and training and development and investment in them as a research professional, but they come in with more than just the essential skills. They come in with a, a really solid base, uh, often kind of some evolved skills in areas that can teach us, whether it be in areas of statistics, whether it be in areas of just updated approaches to consumer learning. So that technical side is tremendous. The other part that we found is, I think from a, if you will, almost from an attitudinal basis, is we always looked to hire on strengths of what we called intellectual curiosity. And what that is, is people who are always striving to keep learning, keep finding better solutions, keep finding new ways forward. And we have tended to definitely see that through the people in the MSMR program, the the graduates. Uh, Again, it might be a a bit of, uh, if you will, selection bias. People who already have that intellectual curiosity are drawn to the program. It then rewards that curiosity, which then is rewarded as they move into the marketplace. And that's, that's been tremendous for us. No, that's great. I mean, if you think about Kellogg, right, where the students of today, the graduates today, when they start in their career, that you were at Kellogg for 24 plus years. That might be nine jobs <laughs> for, you know, a graduate of today, right? Let's talk a little bit about the advantages and the disadvantages of staying with a company for that long. I mean, 24 years, Mike, that's amazing, right? In today's society is a little bit old school. What advice would you have for the students if they find a job that, hey, oh my God, you've got to stay here forever. And it's okay. Because I think a lot of them take the other path, which is I got to change a job every 18 months. Right. And I think to your point, it's definitely a truism today that'd be unusual to have a singular career experience over that span. But I'll be honest, the time I came out as well, all the stats would suggest the same. You're going to change careers by your companies six, seven, eight times, et cetera. So to an extent, it's always been true, I guess, is my point there. What was the advantage of staying at Kellogg's? Well, you know, first, it, it is the environment that you go into. If I think I'd gone into a company that narrowly defined roles and responsibilities and did not create the opportunity for movement, whether it be lateral or cross functions or the opportunity to explore new routes, I probably would have left, but to my benefit, Kellogg's is an organization I always, especially as we recruited people, I spoke to people considering joining the company. If you oversimplify, there are two types of companies in the world. There are what I call very opportunistic companies, and they're very kind of, if you will, tightly defined company cultures. Kellogg's is definitely an opportunistic culture where if you as an individual have the aspiration, have the desire, the willingness to work towards new solutions and new ways to getting things done, I was fortunate enough to always have managers, bosses who would give me latitude to pursue that, which then led to new opportunities for me. So I never felt that I was parked in a role or getting stale. Matter of fact, my last three roles, which were rather high levels in the the position, didn't exist before I took them on. We'd had a very kind of flat organization. And there were times in my career where certainly I considered moving out of the organization. But fortunately, there was need. While it hadn't been defined or, or scoped into job roles at that time, but there was need for the skills that I could bring in new spaces. And so part of it was you know, my willingness, I think, to tackle some new adventures and take a little bit of risk personally, but the organization's willingness to create the opportunity to take that risk. 
So that was to me an advantage. I felt I could keep learning. I wasn't just, you know, kind of repeating the same cycles over and over again. And I think that's the key thing as a person, you know, whether a new graduate or mid-career or late career, if you're not learning, if you're not having new experiences, if you're not taking on new responsibilities, then that might be the time to change. The other thing I'll say relative to the advantage with Kellogg's is the company itself changed dramatically during my 24 years. When I joined, it was what I call a very prototypical US-based cereal company. Anyone, who, when you hear the Kellogg name, if you're in the US, you think Frosted Flakes, Snap Crackle Pop, et cetera, which is great. And I don't hope everyone continues to think that, but that was the majority, vast majority of the portfolio at the time. Fast forward 20 some years, we're in natural foods, we're in meat alternatives. We are a global snacking company with the likes of Pringles and Cheez-It. So our portfolio kept growing from a product perspective and our footprint across the globe grew as well, which was tremendously exciting to me as I moved into global, spending time in, in people's homes in, in Shanghai, in Sao Paulo, in parts of Mexico, all around the world, and just getting to experience cultures and uh, just different environments that I wouldn't have had perhaps if I had just jumped companies sitting in the U.S. When you think about your career, you've worked on some of the biggest brands and the most prestigious brands in the world. Is there a research product or a research aha moment or a takeaway or some type of recommendation that you made to your leadership team that really propelled a brand and you did that through research and your insights over the years? Just anything that jumps out? There's one that, that jumps out and triggers off, you know, the comment I made a moment ago, and it perhaps in the long run wasn't the biggest impact, but it was a really big aha for me culturally. So Special K is a, a massive brand for us on a global basis. For many years was really a key to our growth, not just you know, for the brand, but corporately. Tremendous powerhouse brand. And so as a result, internally, you can really get, I don't want to say fixated, but perhaps over-focused on the strengths of that brand. And we we're really struggling in China for a number of reasons. China uh, is not a cereal market. Uh, it's just not a food that is native to their culture and actually runs against a lot of cultural norms in terms of people don't typically ingest cold liquids in the morning. They don't like hard, crunchy foods for breakfast. It's much more a warm, savory kind of thing. But despite that, we did see some growing opportunities for cereal. And so, of course, as catalogs, we're going to lead with our strongest brands, Special K being one of them. And so to kind of make a long story short, we ended up you know, sending some boxes of Special K out to a number of consumers, and then we would go into their homes and talk to them about their usage. What we didn't realize at all, and this was a big aha for me, is the special K, if you can envision the front of the pack, the big K, meant absolutely nothing to a Chinese consumer who speaks no English, has very little familiarity with the English language. And so we were so, if you will, assumptive about our brand icons that once we spoke to people, they were absolutely confused as to, you know, is this a Chinese character gone wrong? Is this so they had no way to even understand what was in the box when it arrived at their doorstep. And so it was it was a huge aha for me to not be too assumptive about how things can travel across cultures and, and actually how damaging it can be when, when you don't take the time to really kind of understand the local nuances and needs. You know, luckily it wasn't a, a huge negative, but it just confused the heck out of people. They had no idea what was in that box. Wow, that is that is really, really, really interesting. Let's talk about, in terms of the pandemic, it's hit us. How has life changed and how did your work life change a little bit and maybe the way that Kellogg approached things for the pandemic? You know, was there a change in sort of the types of research projects 
that you guys worked on? Your budgets went in a different direction. Anything jump out at you? A, a couple things that I think was a theme across packaged goods and talking to peers and colleagues. There was a real drastic shift in consumer behavior starting in March and April towards yep. what I call kind of staples and their go-to brands. And so if you think about brand portfolios, like in cereal and snacking, there are so many brands, but there are a few that really, you know, dominate share and people come back to. Those brands became in very, very high demand. And so from a, a research perspective, there was a need to understand those brands and how to really ensure a lot of emphasis went to more supply chain analysis, quite honestly in terms of making sure that we could get the core SKUs to the right customers and consumers uh, as effectively as possible just to maintain in-stock conditions. It really had a big impact on how you'd look at your forward-based forecasting of market research demand. Uh, so that was one of the most immediate. And then I think as kind of an echo effect and a few months later, perhaps instead of looking at much investment as we would have had in the past around completely new to the world brands or new products, I think a tendency towards uh, line extensions that kind of build off the strength of, of your major core brands to create some variety still within brands that people know and love. There's still, I think, a consumer behavior right now within COVID of wanting to have my go-to secure brands and then maybe have some variety within them that I trust as opposed to going away all the way out into completely new territory. So a shift in kind of the emphasis of where the research was occurring. That's great. So I know in the past month or so, you've joined the board at Michigan State, the MSMR board. What was your motivation and what do you hope to help and accomplish? Yeah, I think what I'd seen through my career working with university-based programs is a continual need, as I mentioned earlier, to keep evolving and bring the latest practices and help kind of lead the industry a little bit. And what, what I've always loved about, as I mentioned with MSMR, is there's that desire. So for me now with a, a little more time on my hands to be able to get into the, the curriculum, to work with a broader group of advisors and our faculty, to see where our strengths are and where we can build on those strengths to bring in new approaches, whether it be more emphasis on new statistical techniques and tools in conformance they are in our studio or others, you know, how we can bring more behavioral science driven approaches into our work or into our, our offerings, how we can start to expand kind of the role of data and data science in the everyday kind of curriculum, because I see those as the realities of, of what we're asking in industry for all levels of our insights and analytics teams. And so having that, you know, consistently kind of build and strengthen within the MSU, MSMR program is, is my motivation. Great stuff. So in closing, what advice do you have for the current students of the MSMR program? Essentially, what advice do you have in the program when they come out and they may, they may be a little limited jobs, right? Huh. Yes, yeah. Unfortunately. So I, I think kind of twofold advice. One is pretty broad, but uh, stay open to opportunities. And I think so often, especially today, there's a, if you will, an external or an implied pressure that we should all have it figured out and that we have a plan. And our plan goes, you know, come through MSMR, land this job, do that, do that, do that, do that. And your life and your career may not take that path. And that's okay, right? And so I think it's being open to experiences that still work towards your inner intellectual curiosity and your skill set, but may not be as tightly defined as you originally imagined. And so specifically, what does that mean? I think, you know, while classic market research jobs, I just use air quotes, sorry, are still present and will be, I think the kind of adjacent fields of 
data science, you know, roles within psychology and um, organizational behavior, all leverage a lot of the same skills that we build on the MSMR program. And likewise, as your career goes forward, you're seeing more and more companies become aware of the need to rotate talent and build talent across functions. And so I would say, you know, don't necessarily define yourself as only, if you will, kind of a supplier side or corporate side market researcher. No harm in being either of those things, but to, I think you open yourself up to broader opportunity if you're willing to look beyond that. And then related to that, so that's the, the broad base. The other one is the, when you've completed and graduated from the MSMR program, you're not done. If anything, I've learned that we have to be lifelong learners. And to be relevant in the industry, you have to kind of build your network, keep fresh, and keep trying new things. That can come through formal education. I think the beauty of what's happened in the social media space, whether it be Twitter, LinkedIn, or others, is there are so many learning opportunities, professional development opportunities that you can keep moving forward on. And then I'll add a third as, as just kind of more a plug, but as you establish yourself, and I think you all, everyone will have a tremendous you know, kind of opportunity to do that, find time to contribute to more than just yourself through the community. It sometimes feels, because of your skill set, you may feel, well, I don't know how, what I'd have to offer, say, a nonprofit or a charitable organization. What I've found is our skills are rare to some degree, especially in those types of organizations. So helping uh, nonprofit charities understand who they're serving, uh, using some research techniques, how well they're serving those constituents. It's a, it's a great way to engage with boards and, and leaders in nonprofit charities to help them fulfill their mission more so. You know, just carving out a little bit of time and finding those opportunities is a great way to give back from everything that you've learned professionally and, and through your education. Yeah, and I, and I think there's so many takeaways in what you just said for the students. It's, it's amazing. And you're right, be open to opportunities. I like how you frame that lifelong learning. So it's really impressive that you said that. I believe that. I talk about that. I never thought in a million years, Mike, I live in Texas now. I'm a Bostonian. I not only live here for 16 years, call it my home. I love it here. I never thought in a million years I would be in Texas. And I took a job here. And when the phone rang and I went to Connecticut for a job, I went to Philadelphia for a job or even North Jersey and now Texas. And I think you got to be open to those opportunities. So I, I think just tremendous takeaways for the next generation of research superstars who are going to be thrown out. So Mike, I thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today on Spartan Insights. My name is Merrill Zubro. Thanks for listening.